0: Let's rise from our uh, seats again and we'll receive our scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 28. It's the last section of our Matthew, uh, the book of Matthew. Let's hear the word of the Lord with confidence, knowing that he is speaking to us. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus has directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven And on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Good morning, KSPC. How are you doing? Good. How are you really doing? Welcome if you're new. Uh, We can't wait to talk to you and meet you. Uh, Let's pray and approach our Lord with all sincerity, openness, concentration. Let's get rid of our distractions. Let's get rid of the weight. Let's get rid of the guilt and approach our Lord who is still accessible today. Heavenly Father, not one more word more, not one more word less. But help me proclaim the word that this word, this passage has put in my mouth today. That your people will be edified, that people's hearts would be opened, that people would respond by obedience and faith. Father, we all are, are all broken. No one claims moral superiority. No one can stand before you in your holiness and righteousness. So as broken sinners saved by grace, help us listen to your word and be healed, encouraged, and commissioned to be the sent. Holy Spirit, please work today in our hearts and our minds and our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we conclude the five-month journey in the book of Matthew. Praise God. Praise God. He's been so good to us. We conclude with a text known as the Great Commission. Uh, This can be found not just in all four Gospels, once in each gospel, but also uh, in one of the texts. It's in five places that we see this. Is that important. Any recording of Jesus' life mentions this Matthew 28, 16 to 20, Mark 16, 14 through 18, Luke 24, 44 through 49, John 20, 19 to 23, and Acts 1, 4 through 8. This is called the Great Commission that creates the sent, who we are as a church. That's our motto. Dictionary.com defines a commission as this. The act of committing or entrusting a person or group with a supervisory power or authority to do something. Two, an authoritative order, charge, or direction. Three, authority granted for a particular action or function. The significance of the Great Commission cannot be downplayed or understated or washed and diluted. The Great Commission is the last command from our King. It is our current marching order, and I would dare say, dare say, the purpose of our lives right now. Amen? It is the purpose of our lives, and yet we are not consistent with that. So we would do well to discover everything we can about this Great Commission to structure our lives and our communities and the way that we think about the world around this commission. Please be blessed by this. A lot of points, verse by verse. Let's go through this. Number one, let's look at the slide. The first thing you could do to obey the Great Commission and understand it is to listen to our resurrected king. Verse 16. Eleven disciples went to Galilee, and they met the resurrected Jesus there. Uh, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. Now, what makes this commission so great? Every commission and its importance is only judged by the authority and power and the importance of the commissioner. Batman has his commissioner, Gordon. Christians have their commissioner greater than Gordon. We have Jesus Christ who is resurrected. What does that mean? This commission is so great because of who said it. Number one, Jesus is omnipotent. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. The resurrected Jesus, who has seen past death, towards the victory of God, gave this order. And we are not sent by a dead leader who we have to commemorate every year. We are sent by a living God who lives amongst us and in us. The uniqueness about Christianity is this. That's where our certainty comes from. Other religions... Guard or decorate or do pilgrimages to the grave of their founder. But I've never been to Jerusalem before. Many of you haven't. Why? Because Christians are sent by the resurrected king who dwells within us every single day. It's totally different. Our commission is a living one. Number two, Jesus is omniscient. Being commissioned by Jesus is like hearing advice from a time traveler who goes back to the 1990s and says, buy Google, Apple, Tesla stock. Don't forget Bitcoin for a while, right? Jesus, who has seen the victory of the church and the revelation of John and the apocalypse and the way everything unfolds, says the great commission is how we get there. No other thing will get us there. The Great Commission is the way towards the future. How stupid it is of us to ignore the omniscient advice of a risen king. And finally, Jesus is not just omniscient, not just omnipotent. What if he's evil? That's scary, right? But he's omniscient, omnipotent, but he's also benevolent, omni-benevolent. This Jesus died and came back from the grave for us to save us to love us to give us life and purpose to find to give us the meaning of our lives he, he died and rose from the grave we can trust this commissioner verse 11 refers sorry verse 16 refers to a mountain and a lot of us might be saying is this the only thing that we have to be doing right now like what about the mount sinai what about the mount of the uh, where jesus preached the the uh, sorry, the, 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 great, the blessings, right? Uh, the Beatitudes, sorry. Well, Mount Sinai and the Beatitudes, all of these are presupposing, they're descriptive, like blessed are the poor. It's not saying become poor in heart, become peacemakers. Jesus is saying blessed are they because these are descriptive of the scent. The only active command that we have from Jesus right now is not to be a better person. It's not to, you know, live a life, you know, uh, uh, that that looks like a missionary's. Basically, Jesus' order is to be sent, to have a renewed identity as he sent and make disciples. Everything else is descriptive because the power is in the word. The power is in the seed of the Holy Spirit to make us like everything that can do this Great Commission. Like, you might say, I'm unholy. I'm not worth, like, I'm not smart enough. I'm not prepared enough. I could not go to seminary. Jesus is not telling you to do this and do that and do that. He's saying the Spirit will provide all of that so that you can focus on the one command that I give you, go and make disciples. He promises that it's possible and it will happen. We'll talk about more, more about that in the next verses. So, we are commissioned. We must listen to a resurrected king who is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnibenevolent. This is how important this calling is. Please receive this into your heart. Let's go to verse 17. Verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, right? But some doubted. It says, but some doubted. Who? Who doubted? To what extent? Like, this was, like, if you, if you look in the book of John, they met many times after Jesus died and resurrected. And so this is the last meeting out of many meetings. They spent many, many days with him. Forty days. And yet, they still doubted. Like, you live and breathe and eat and walk with a resurrected Christ, and you can still doubt The word doubt, distazo in Greek, refers to not a certain unbelief. Like, I am certain it didn't happen. That's not what he's saying. What this is referring to is hesitation and confusion. Like, 40 days I've walked with the risen Lord. Is he too good to be true? And isn't that what a lot of us are today saying? Is he too good to be true? Is he real? Like, can I really not hesitate and follow him? And we feel like this all the time when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everyone can doubt. Remember last week we talked about the mass hallucination theory of the resurrection. The interesting thing, once again, is that Jesus showed himself to Jerusalem multiple times to the disciples, and yet they still doubted and hesitated. So this is not hallucination, but clear, but also limited human perception, struggling with the truth despite the evidence. Three points uh, that that are practically arising from this. Number one, even witnessing the risen Jesus is not enough for your confident witness. Do you get that? A lot of non-believers say, show me the Red Sea open, I will believe. I think there was a famous debate between an atheist and a believer, and the atheist said, if you know, the, the heavens open and God said with a booming voice, you know, I am calling you to be a Christian and there's like letters being written in the sky, he, would, he said he would believe and the Christian basically told him, no, you'd probably think that's a hallucination. Like we're all looking for irrefutable evidence. Like just give me one thing that will change my heart. Guess what? These people spent 40 days with the risen Christ with nail-pierced hands, a hole in his side, scars, and they still doubted. You are not looking for evidence, I promise you. you are looking for a change affection and heart through the Holy Spirit that is born again to reevaluate the evidence, open eyes and spiritual eyes to see. number two, the importance of the power from above, the coming of the spirit that is what 's being highlighted here because somehow the doubters became martyrs, all the doubters died for Jesus, witnessing to his gospel, somehow. How did that happen? Because the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost and indwelled their hearts, and fearful people and doubters and skeptics became martyrs for the sake of Jesus Christ. What this is saying is that you need the Holy Spirit, not evidence, you need the Holy Spirit living and working in your hearts right now to open your eyes to the truth of Jesus Christ. Amen. And finally, the last point anyone can be sent. Anyone can be a disciple. Anyone can make disciples. Amen. In fact, nobody is exempt as a Christian. Nobody. Even the doubters. There is no such thing in the Christian world as Christian elite. Like, is the intercessory prayer team gathering in the back? every Sunday, praying for us 30 minutes before this worship service, are they the elite that takes care of all of our prayer? No, we have to pray. They're setting a model, an example of what we should be doing. Is there an elite squad of evangelizers? No, we should be doing it. Jesus called us. And you cannot just say, oh, KCPC is awesome because they have a worship team, they have a welcome team, they have an you know, uh, you know, uh, evangelism team. Therefore, they're doing everything on my behalf, I can lay back and be okay. No, you will go to the Lord and he will ask you, what did you do with your life, my servant, my son, my child? And you cannot say, hey, <laughs> like uh, uh, Daniel is in terms of welcome team, he welcomed for me. It's not going to work. Pastor David taught for me. No, it's not going to work. You are called to be disciples. There is no exemption. Amen. I need a stronger band aid. (laughs) I know a lot of you doubt Am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Am I persuasive enough? Am I ready? I am not a good preacher only reason i'm up here is either i preach the word in fullness of the holy spirit or i'm up here blabbering and giving you advice that will not keep you from the gates of hell that's the only reason i'm up here not because of my talent because but because of a commission he sent me there's nothing else to do that's the only thing to do may you hear jesus call you out, call you in, send you out. Verse 18, and next slide. Next thing you can do is trust in Jesus' authority. Verse 18, I'll read it for us. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, oh, that's, sorry, next verse. (laughs) All authority has been given to me. And that is the answer to our doubts. Like, am I ready? I don't care. Jesus has authority. Amen? Am I ready to be sent? Jesus has authority. That is the confidence that I somehow have as an introvert (laughs) right now preaching to you. It's okay to doubt because Jesus has authority. That's how simple it is. What kind of authority does he have here? He says, heaven and earth. Heaven and earth is a poetic device in Ju- a Judaic literature called a merism. A merism compares two extremes to say everything in the middle is cl- included in Jewish poetry. And so when, when God says to David, as far as, your sins, uh, as, as far as the east is from the west, I have removed your sins from you. It means total obliteration of sin. But now he's saying everything in heaven and on earth and everything in between authority has been given to me and we have to flesh that out. What kind of authority does Jesus have? Or Jesus is saying he has absolute authority over the microcosm comprised of atoms and molecules and quantum mechanics the invisible world. And he also has absolute authority over the macrocosm of the peoples, the nations, The rise and fall of empires, including the United States, the spiritual world, and the material universe. That's the range. Those are the parameters. Now, then, does he have authority in your workplace? Just because he doesn't say workplace doesn't mean he doesn't have authority there. Does Jesus have control of your boss and your money? in your children, in your relationships? Pastor John, can I get the handheld mic? Sorry. Parents, do your children belong to Jesus or to yourself? Spouses, who do you belong to? Your husband, your wife, or to Jesus? Jesus is saying, I own everything. I have authority over everything. And we should not be afraid that Jesus has control. Romans 8.28, once again, he's benevolent. This means that, and it says Romans 8.28, And we know that for those who love God, all things, all things under Jesus' authority works together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Jesus has authority, amen? He has authority over everything. What does that mean for us though? Verse 19 and the next slide. Like, Jesus refers to his own authority. Why would he, like, he doesn't do this too often. Why does he pull rank here? Because he's going to make, not a suggestion, not advice how to live your life. He's pulling rank because he's going to make a command. He's going to give you a command, not advice. Therefore, verse 19 says, therefore go and make disciples. Baptizing and teaching, the two rules, baptizing and teaching. What that means is, like, let's unfold the context here. He's not just saying go therefore. What he's also saying is stop posturing. Why? This is what he's saying. My authority has been pulled and talked about because go because I will take care of your finances. Go because I have authority over your children. I'll take care of them. Go, because you will never be lost or lonely. You will have intimacy. You will have support. Therefore, go and make disciples. He's talking about his authority, and he's showing us his nail-pierced hands. Put one and one one together, you get two. What does that mean? If you see his nail-pierced hands and his resurrection, and you see his authority and his control over the universe, what he's saying is, I love you. I got your back. Go. Go. Why the worry? Why the anxiety? Why the doubting? Why the hesitating? Despite the authority that he has. All the power Jesus promises is promised to those who obey the Great Commission. Jesus talks about his authority when we are obeying the Great Commission. A lot of people ask, Why doesn't the Holy Spirit work wonders and miracles in my life? Because you're not obeying the commission. It's as easy as this. Let's say you work at a company, and you tell your boss, boss, I want to go on a one-month vacation to uh, Maui. Give me all the money that I need. And the boss will ask you one question. Does that promote the interests of this company? If he doesn't, why fund a personal vacation? It's not that God doesn't want you to have fun. No, that's not the thing. But if you are consistently never living for God's purposes, and you're always asking for the things designed to empower God's purposes, do you see the irony there? Like you're asking God to give you a wonderful, healthy, beautiful family and a healthy life. Everything that you want in this life and a reputation and self-fulfillment and money, you're asking for that for the wrong reason. The reasons we seek the Holy Spirit today is for health or wealth or prosperity. And that's why we never see the Holy Spirit work. And I challenged, I remember, I was challenging a young couple in San Jose. Like We were talking out of the street and, I, and they asked me this question, "Like, why doesn't the Holy Spirit work miracles anymore? And I told them, go to the corner there, preach the gospel. You will feel the Holy Spirit work through your Your mind and your lips and everything you do, he'll help you remember everything to proclaim the gospel. But you're not going to feel that at home. Like He's not going to help you sin. He's not going to empower you to just uh, fall to your fleshly cravings. He is empowering you for mission. If you have a dry spiritual life right now, it's probably because you're not obeying him. Let that sink dip deep into your hearts. If we look at the next slide, uh, there's a book by uh, Soul Searching, uh, by Christian Smith and Melinda Denton uh, called Soul Searching, The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. And that was quite a while ago. Uh, and it coined the term called MTD, Moralistic Therapeutic Deism. That is what Christianity is today, Moralistic and Therapeutic Deism. What does that mean? This is a summary of what those teenagers believe that are now in their 20s and 30s right now number one god exists who created the world and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth but he's kind of cool with it okay no agenda no plan he just wants to see us have fun and then number two god wants people to be good and nice and fair to each other as taught by most other world religions christianity is not unique so you don't have to be a Christian to be good and nice. Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Every like, teenager under this generation believes that somehow. And the American, American dream and the immigration life didn't help. Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in your life. He, he, he's not that interested in you unless you need a problem solved. That's statement number four. Number five, Good people go to heaven when they die. And if you put all five of those together, this gave birth to the most self-infatuated, narcissistic, lukewarm, hedonistic Christians in the history of the church. Me, me, me. It's all about me. Like, how much coffee does the church have? Like, you know, like, when I come to church, will I be taken care of? Will someone meet every single one of my needs? And people come to church out of consumerism. That's why the Spirit isn't working today in so many churches right now. Because of MTD, Moralistic Therapeutic Deism. All the power and all the ability and all the presence and the comfort of the Holy Spirit is given to those who are suffering in obedience to Jesus Christ. It's meant to empower them and encourage them and to give them presence and to solve their loneliness and to give them resources That's why Jesus talks about his authority. To give you a foundation to go. Here are some questions that can arise. Let's go to the next slide. Number one, what if I don't have enough blank to obey the great commission? Money, time, or energy? What if I don't have time for that? That is the problem. We try... I think this uh, sentence is actually pretty good. Uh, Repeat after me, okay? We try our best and use all of our money, time, and energy to do things Jesus never asked us to do. That's why you don't have money, time, or energy. You're using things that Jesus never asked you to do. I don't think I have to emphasize this too much. Let it sink in. Let it sink in. Number two, do I have to be sent? And what I'm saying is, can I just be a sending missionary? Do I have to be sent? Acts 1.8 says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I don't see, sorry, in today's passage, maybe if we looked at all of uh, biblical theology about missions, we can find a role for sending missionaries. But in today's text, and I am a servant of the text... In today's text, I don't see sending missionaries. All I see is sent people. But here's the thing. We are either sent locally to Jerusalem or Centerville. You're sent to Case PC, amen. Or you're sent regionally to Judea or Fairfax for this greater area, right? Or you're sent across boundaries to Samaria or to Mexico, for example, or Canada or to the extremities, ends of the earth, like the Middle East, or China, or Africa. And the only issue is, not whether you're sent or not, the only issue is, not whether you're commissioned or not, the only issue is where you are sent and commissioned. Where are you planted? Where has the Lord commanded you to go? And I notice, uh, I happen to see you pretty often. (laughs) I think you're planted here. Uh, I think you were sent here. Did you hear the commission of the Lord, though? Amen? That was deafening silence. <laughs> uh, did Jesus send you? Please, yes. <laughs> uh, there are no sending missionaries in today's text. If you're curious, come to our missions training. Um, but today we're talking about the sent only those who hear the voice of God and go. Number three, do I have to start locally? Uh, a lot of missionaries tend to want to go very far away, but sometimes for the wrong reasons. Because, listen to this, it says Samaria is next. Like, Centerville is first, and then, uh, you know, uh, somewhere, like, Samaria is really interesting. Those are people that Israelites thought of as political traitors and uh their enemies. They hated them. They saw them as lower than dogs. And Jesus says, Go to Samaria. And that's why it's so hard to start locally because a lot of people will today like say, Oh, I'd rather go to Somalia than evangelize a Democrat or a Republican. I'd rather <laughs> um, go to Tanzania than reconcile with that fool <laughs> that I'm thinking about right now. And so local missions is so much harder because you fill in the blank. So what we're saying is, no matter who it is, they must hear the gospel. And how you live locally is likely to be repeated globally. Crossing a border or getting on a plane doesn't change who you are and how you live. So the greatest sign that you're a missionary to go across borders is to see If you're living that right now. So don't suddenly, please just suddenly go somewhere out of a whim. Receive the calling. But also check if you're living that lifestyle right now, locally. And the parents and the communities and the elders and the pastors can actually say, yes, we have a reference point. He lives like that. Therefore, go. You'll be a blessing no matter where you go. Number four, it's discipling my only purpose in life. Pastor David, this passage or this sermon sounds very black and white. It sounds like discipling and making and, and evangelism is the only goal in life. Is that true? Think about this. The original mandate for humanity is called the cultural mandate. Cultural coming from the word cultivate. God says cultivate the garden and be like representatives of god all throughout the created universe show who i am through your works and everything that you do they named animals they started guarding cultivating planting doing whatever necessary until the fall they became sinners they hated god they rebelled against him so this is personally my theological stance the great commission sorry the 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 cultural mandate is temporarily on hold until the workers of that mandate can be restored again by who? People who become disciples through the Great Commission. The Great Commission is first, circumstantially, in order for the cultural mandate to be restarted again. So what does this, what does this mean? We make disciples until Jesus comes. And when we are glorified and there is no shadow of sin in my heart or my mind, then... Your uh, fine arts degree, your architecture degree, your legal degree, all of that can be used in the great cultural mandate in the future to make the whole universe sing about God. That day will come, and that's not the only pur- So evangelism is not the only purpose in life, but temporarily it is the only way to get to the cultural mandate again to fill the universe with the glory and the magnificence of God. And everything that we do, like the food that we cook and the music that we make, was seeing of the glory of God because you have been changed by the great commission as disciples of Jesus Christ. So this is not the only purpose in life, but temporarily it is. To make disciples, and there is not much other purpose right now be sanctified to become like christ so that you will reproduce like spiritual organisms that are alive to make disciples next slide verse 19 through 20 the next thing you could do to obey the great commission is to make disciples who make disciples verse 19 go therefore make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you two characteristics of a disciple He tells us to baptize literally into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means to baptize them into the life and the intimacy and the power and the love that comes originally from the divine community of the Godhead. God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we are baptizing and grafting people into that. That's the first thing that we do as disciples. But a second characteristic of disciples is this. They are taught to obey what Jesus commanded. What are the commands of Jesus? Both broad and narrow. Broadly, narrowly, the whole counsel of God is fulfilled when we repent of our sins and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then everything is fulfilled. But the whole counsel of God's word is that if you believe in Jesus, everything that is in the seed of faith leads to a perfect life. Of obedience and good works. That is what Jesus commanded us to repent, to believe, and to make good fruit. Now, these are the disciples we are commissioned to make. Do you get that? Okay, so, case PC, these are who we should be reproducing as the greatest command of all time disciples who make disciples. Amen? disciples who are born into the family of God, and they're regenerated, and they're saved from their sins. And then they teach other people while also learning how to obey Jesus. That is the only function of the church. Let's go to the next picture, the next slide. This house is called the Farnsworth House, built back in the 1950s. This isn't this is a recent uh, uh, building. It's very old. Uh, the client was named Dr. Farnsworth. She commissioned an architect to build this home, uh, Miles Vander der Roe, Ro. And the architect put all of his passion for modern architecture, for simplicity, for transparency, for saving material. He put all of his love into this building, simple and streamlined. The glass walls blurring the difference between outside and inside is the work of very good work. Here's the thing, though. After a huge bill and after building this house, the client who commissioned this building hated it. Jesus asked us to build his church and to make disciples. And stupid pastors like me come to create EC9A2E the one church model, soon centered ministry, all these paradigms, all these systems and structures. And I'm passionate. I, I've devoted my life to that, basically, to create all these substructures. And I'm honestly sometimes very proud of it. But then when I go to sleep at night, when my children go to sleep and I have 10 minutes of silence, I ask, Jesus, is this your commission? 80% of my work is systematic right now. I feel like a communicator. I feel like a lobbyist. I feel like a, 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 a diplomat right now. And 20% of my work is actually making disciples. And you are the church as well. When Jesus says, go and make disciples, and you, you know, do all these things that are passionate, well-intended, Um, not with the power of the Spirit, but maybe by your own natural giftings. And Jesus might ask you one day, did you make disciples who make disciples? I like another analogy, a boat-making analogy. Jesus asked us to fish for men, amen? He asked us to fish for men. And here comes a seminary student who is reading a manual about boat building for three years, forgetting that Jesus walked on water. We're focusing on building boats all the time. And so after three years of seminary, I come and we create structure after structure. And a lot of people are like, hey, David, I noticed uh, you're good at building boats. So I keep on building boats on the shore, never going to fish. And then some people come back for after service. It's like uh, our boat has a leak in it. So reinforced bottoms, whatever. Our boat, uh, there's a lot of like storms in in the lake that we, you know, row in. So give us a reinforced higher deck, whatever it is. And forgetting that Jesus calmed the storms. Boat after boat, we make it and make it and make it, and then we send the boats out only to find out they're being used as cruise ships. Like you're selling coffee on boats. Like you're not fishing for people. You're not, there's no fishing rods on some boats even. Like not, some stones are not designed to save souls right now. And there's soon after soon, boat after boat, system after system that isn't designed to produce disciples. And I'm like, what's going on here? We're, tr- we're trying to fish for men. And all we're talking about is fellowship, loneliness, like, you know, uh, mental and emotional issues. These are all important. But the Spirit was promised to take care of that so that the church could focus on going out. The Spirit, do not underestimate the presence of God in your heart. It will solve everything personal and vertically relational with God and horizontally relational with creation and all people. The Holy Spirit will take care of that so that you can go. Go. Let's catch some fish. Amen? Let's catch people. Let's go. And stop making boats after boats and like strengthening the nets, forgetting that Jesus actually caught the fish out of a word of his command. We aren't fishing. We aren't doing what we're supposed to do. And I wouldn't be surprised if God said one day, KCPC, you're no longer relevant to my mission. What if that happens? We need to go. That's all I can say. Hey, amen. You said amen. Let's look at the next slide then. We need 50 people. <laughs> JG, our high school students, asked for 20 people. Children are not learning the Bible right now, and they're dying because someone hasn't unfolded it into their life. Please go to JG and tell them how to read the Bible. Amen? All-stars, they need 10 more. 2-7 discipleship training, they need 10 more. Five more? Okay, five more. And then good neighbors, they need five more at least. Like These are all minimum. And I need 10 more soon leaders who can fish. And we need 50 total at least. And I'm reaching for the stars, or like, should I say all stars? I'm reaching for the stars right now. Maybe, maybe one day you can all fish. Amen? Maybe one day you could all be sent. Maybe one day you could all serve where you are sent, which is now, I think, KCPC, right? Unless you go somewhere else. Let's make disciples. Amen? Amen? can't do this alone (laughs) our soon leaders are burning like dry twigs right now they can't do this alone we need to make disciples like stop talking about like finances and budget and systems like these are important i am a systems guy i was trained for this but we forget why jesus promises his authority and his spirit and his presence let's look at the slide one more time because this needs to turn into an action item. Everyone, take out your phones. This is the only time I'll tell you this. Take a picture of the email address. It is ec at kcpc.org. And the subject line I want you to put in, I am sent to KCPC. Amen? And uh, we might find two emails, (laughs) or three, or maybe 400. maybe 400 one day, where everyone will obey Jesus' commission to them personally. I'm dreaming of that day, guys, that one day. Final slide. I lose sleep because I don't know if the church is producing disciples. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm very stressed sometimes at numerous breaking points throughout the week. Until I remember the rest of verse 20. Then I can rest. What does it say? And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's when I can still sleep, even though we're not where we should be ideally. As faulty of a disciple that I am, as faulty of a pastor that I am, as faulty of a Christian that I am, because Jesus lives and he is with me, I can sleep, and I can rest, and I can serve, and I can obey because he promises to be with me. This is Jesus' mission. Amen? None of you are underqualified. None of you are so doubtful that God cannot use you. None of you are no, like, so ill-equipped that God cannot use you. God used the worst people out of redemptive history. My only problem with you guys is that you're overqualified. You're overeducated. You overcomplicate. My grandmother evangelized 20 times better than me. And all she said was, Jesus loves you. I told the Japan mission team, sometimes being fluent in the language keeps you from actually evangelizing. Because they might ask about, oh, what do you think about, you know, uh, chromosomes? And what do you think about, you know, the flood? What do you think about Noah's Ark? And you have to answer because you understand in English. But we are like stupid disciples of Jesus Christ when we go to Japan, and all we can say is, like, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. And they're like, What's, like, this guy's crazy, but Jesus loves me? Like, what about, like, what about evolution? Jesus loves you. was like, What? And it is the power and the authority of the word and spirit that reaches their heart, and not your eloquency, not your education, not your technical training. It's sometimes better to be stupid for the Lord. Because you're commissioned. Wow, I feel like I rapped today. <laughs> We're still out of time. Okay. The beauty about our commission is that I call this a a commission sandwich. What's the sandwich? Uh, We call this a chiasm in Greek. A chiasm where there's there's like multiple layers, one singular thing for us to do, but founded upon different important realities. The reality is Jesus is resurrected. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnibenevolent. That is the foundation. And then you get to the bottom foundation. He will be with us. He empowers us with the spirit. He will never forsake us. That's the bottom layer. And what's the meat in the middle if this is a hamburger? Therefore, go. That is the comfort and security of the Christian who has been commissioned. It's going to work. God promises his authority. He promises his presence forever. All so that we can focus on living for his kingdom instead of mine. What a freedom. What a freedom. I've seen millionaires worried about tomorrow and i've seen broken christians not have a care in the world because jesus is their savior who would you be commissioned by a king who gives you all of his resources or would you be purposeless foundationless clueless directionless as for me and my household i would rather have jesus and his commission Amen. I'm just going to pray as a conclusion of today's sermon. Lord, let there be 400 emails. Praise and come up. We are the sent. That is our identity. Jesus commissioned, therefore, we are the commissioned. We are the sent. I want this to haunt you when you sleep. Somehow you hear it in my voice, you are sent. And the more you ponder it, somehow you hear the Holy Spirit tell you, you are sent. You are planted, you're commissioned. Look where you are and flourish there to make disciples. Let's pray in response to that call. I am sent. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, individually speak to us. Promise your authority, promise your presence, promise your gifts, promise your spirit so that out of a mustard seed of obedience and faith, we can say Jesus loves you to one more person, Father. It's such a simple task, but we've mastered the craft of boat making, net making, building lighthouses even. Command structures, systems, we've mastered everything just to stay away from the thing that you've actually told us to do, which is to make disciples and preach the gospel. Help us, O Lord. Help us, O Lord. We are sent, you commissioned us, you give us everything that you have so that we wouldn't worry, that we'd be free to do what you bid. And you didn't give us advice. You didn't give us a suggestion. You gave us a command that comes from your belly. And you saw the victory of the church. You saw the victory of me personally. You saw what I would turn into and who I would be beloved as a child of God. You saw my complete storyline. And you still call me. You say, you are the sent. Father, we need individual and communal inspiration right now that only comes from you a pastor cannot commission a leader cannot commission but our lord and the resurrected king jesus can and so he calls out to us today you are sent go therefore i give you everything i give you my love i give you my blood i give you my presence i give you the holy spirit i give you my promises i give you my community go therefore and make disciples Father we hear that ringing in our ears may it produce a simple act of obedience by faith that the starving and thirsting nations and peoples and the children around us that the family members around us and the relatives around us and the neighbors around us would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved yes Lord so commission us send us Father